You're listening to the Library Pros Podcast with Chris and Bob, a techie librarian and a computer IT guy discussing libraries, technology, and all things this side of the reference desk. Thanks, Carl. Hi, and welcome to episode 30 of the Library Pros Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Bob. And we're coming to you again from the CHM Public Library in Holbrook, New York. If this is your first time listening, thanks again for coming. Uh, the Library of Pros is produced bi-monthly, so don't forget to check out uh, our RSS feed and subscribe and to our iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever they're calling it on iOS 11 nowadays, Android, email, and on Google Play. Don't forget, links and notes from today's podcast can be found on our website, thelibrarypros.com, on Twitter at, at thelibrarypros, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash librarypros. Well, I'll tell you what, today is an unconventional episode for us, I guess, and Chris will agree it's Friday the 13th. Um, so we're going to kind of get to know uh, Chris and I a little bit better. We're going to go through some topics that have been kind of rambling around our heads. And this episode is inspired by uh, one of our guests a couple episodes ago, right? Maurice Coleman. Is Maurice, that right, Chris? yes. Maurice Coleman from Maurice. T is for Training. Give him a little plug. Can't forget five bucks. Can't forget him. So oh, th- well, he gets five bucks now. We get five bucks from him now, too. Or? Well, Alan Druda gets five bucks. Alan um, Druda. Maurice is going to need at least five bucks. So, yeah, why not? So. Sure. I'm sure he'll respond to that on his next podcast. But so, yes, I mean, you know, today is an interesting day. It is Friday the 13th, and everything that can go wrong with technology seems to go wrong on days like this. Uh, so other times that this happens is what, Mercury's in retrograde sometimes when this happens, right, Chris? Uh, you got me on that one. And, oh, and things like Friday the 13th happen all the time, and, and just sometimes technology is technology. Sure. So I guess, you know, we have a couple topics to talk about today. Um and really, one that I wanted to bring up was today's library and, and how much different it is from libraries of yesterday, but how the services and the service, I guess, are relatively the same. So the level of service that we're expected to provide, although different, is really kind of the, it's the same level. So you understand what I'm saying? Yes, the level is the same, but the type of services has, I don't want to say changed, they've kind of right. morphed, I right. would say, yeah. But the service is still, I mean, exemplary. In most libraries, you walk in and you have very, very helpful people. They're just helping you do different things. That's right. So I, I think I guess we could talk about the today's reference desk and today's children's desk and all those kinds of things, you know. Well, I was um, even thinking about this yesterday. Uh, I was on the desk and I was thinking how much things have changed with regard to the types of questions that you get now at the desk that you weren't getting before. Uh, right. I, I remember back when I first started in library land back in 2002 the primary thing I was doing, other than telling people where the bathroom was, was saying, you know, helping people place holds. Oh, I want to get the newest Patterson. I want to get the newest Follette. I want to get the newest J.D. Robb. And, right. you know, it was that, and it was registering people for programs. That's right. So, you know, right, and, and the you know, contrasting it against what we're doing today, uh, what I do a lot is help people with overdrive. In fact, today must have been Kindle Fire Day because I helped about five people with Kindle Fires. Well, it's Friday the 13th. They probably all broke. So <laughs> well, most of them were, believe it or not, first-gen Kindle Fires, so they couldn't get the OverDrive app anymore. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a bit of a nightmare. So they were uh, headed off to go home to buy the forty nine ninety nine new Kindle Fire tablets. Yep. No, they could wait till November. And, you know, that Friday sale that they have, those things are like 25 bucks. That's true. So, you know, one thing that we do a lot more now is the tech help. Yep. Uh, what, what the other things that we do, we still place holds on books, but I can honestly say it's a lot less than it used to be. And I've noticed recently, and tell me if I'm wrong, because you sit at the desk, um, you know, often, 
um, it, it used to be like there were just a couple of people that were familiar with the technology. Some, somebody would come in and say, well, is Jen there or is Bob there? And they really couldn't get help unless those people were there. And I noticed that a lot less often now. Really, really librarians and libraries as a whole, the staff, have, have really, I mean, learned how to handle a lot of these technologies. It's true. And unless there's something that's extremely difficult that's that's happening with a particular yeah. piece like uh, the Kindle Fire issue with first gen Kindle Fires not using not being able to get on overdrive. Right. Uh, you know, it's um it, it's pretty it's pretty straightforward. Yep. And one thing that I can honestly say at Sachem uh, is that the demographic of the librarian has changed where we've gone from we were very um we were on the older end of the spectrum with regard to employees. I'm sorry. What did you want to say that again, Chris? The, the what? The, the, the older end. Oh, the older end. Older. Okay, right. Yeah. Right. So, um, so most Slip. of those people have retired. A slippery trail you are weaving here, sir. Yes, I know. I know. But, <laughs> but I, I'm speaking in, in the context of technology where we had older uh -huh. librarians oh. who weren't interested in the technology, thought that it was a toy or thought it was a, a passing fad yeah. who have since retired and that surprising, you know, surprising to them, but not to us, that passing fad is now becoming the main way that books are circulating is through digital. Right. So that brings up. And what, what's happening, what's happening at a lot of libraries is that when those older librarians retire, and I'm not saying that they were not good at their job. They had a wealth of knowledge and were Absolutely. professional yep. and, and wonderful librarians. But the new librarians that you hire who are coming in now who are 24, 25, 26, you know, maybe yeah. in their late 20s, early 30s, they grew up with this stuff. That's right. So this is almost second nature to them. You don't have to tell them to go to settings to, to look for something. or They, they yeah. have a, a background that allows them to uh, – they have a skill set that they come with that they bring that? with them to uh, – are you, are you getting another call? I don't know what's going on. I don't see another call coming in. That was weird. Sorry. That is weird. My apologies. That's okay. So um, the, what I was trying to say is the younger librarians come in with a skill set that's inherent versus learned. Right. So and that makes a big difference. I think it does. Well, I think it's like uh, like any public service. If you hire somebody that has the knowledge or, or the basic knowledge straightforward, that makes a big difference than if you have to train them up. You know what I mean? Sure. And in and, and training them, you're start, it, it's, there's a big difference in training somebody who is at zero versus somebody that's at 50%. Right. So you I look at it like public places, like Home Depot, right? If you walk in and Home Depot just hired an electrician, right? You ask him an electrical question, like you're in. You know, if you need an outlet or whatever, he's going to tell you. But if you hire a guy off the street and you're trying to train him up in electrical and what you sell and how you do it and wiring, you're not going to get that quality of service. That's true. That's true. So... Uh, the same thing I think is is holding true for libraries as well. I mean, I haven't been in library school since 2001, so I don't know. I, I was, I've always said I've been kind of lucky because I was had one foot in the paper and one foot um, in digital, hmm. and that even goes for my previous career where I was one foot in paper and one foot in digital, yeah. and uh, I always consider myself lucky because I was able to experience both, and not just in a academic way, but in a real you know real life at you know, application kind of way. Yeah. Uh, and the librarians that are coming out now, I don't know how they're teaching reference. I don't know how they're teaching cataloging because right. so much of it has changed. And even in terms of cataloging now, most of the providers 
are offering to send items that are pre-cataloged. So I don't know what's happening in library school now, but the, the library students that are coming out now as new librarians have a, a skill set that I think makes them a little bit more prepared to be librarians than it would be if you came out of library school in, like, let's say, 1974, because there was still that requisite amount of uh, experience that you still needed. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. And, and I think, you know, I also think, I mean, I visit a lot of libraries around Suffolk County, Long Island, and I visited libraries across the country. And, you know, they just seem, I don't want to say happier, but they seem like better connected. You know, they seem like the, the, the staff has an, a flow. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, definitely. And I'm not saying that wasn't always the case. I'm just, it just seems like things are starting to smooth out. I guess over the last couple of years, certainly 10 years ago, when the iPhone and iPads were introduced, right? I mean, it was an explosion. People were walking in with these things and people were panicking. You know, like, wh why does a patron think that they buy this thing and then they come in and we're supposed to help them? Steve Jobs is the enemy. You know, remember those days? Oh, sure, yeah. It seems like all that stuff is starting to really smooth out and iron itself out. And we're getting people that are either coming in and, and like yourself and like myself, um, aiding the staff, right, and learning about this new technology and the new things that have come out. Um, so they can, you know, help the patrons or like you said, they're coming right out of school. They already know about it because they've been using it for the last four or five years and they grew up with it. Right. And they've been patrons using it. So they already have the requisite yeah. experience. So, I mean, we're really starting to kind of I think the library, the libraries are just starting to really get uh, in their edge and in their groove, you know, to provide e exemplary uh, service for the next uh, decades to come. You know? Well, you know, it's interesting too that you talk about that because I feel like you know, being where I am, that the library has raised its game to another level because of the digital end of it. And not just, you know, downloading audio books or downloading, you know, uh, print materials that are now digitized. There's just so much more to it now. There's Wi-Fi in buildings. There's mobile apps. There's, you know, the databases have always been there, but now they've risen to a new level. It just seems like uh, it, it's like there's this digital rocket ship that's happening with libraries now. Yeah. And, you know, some of it, honestly, I believe is from a, 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 a competition. You know, so when you hear what Sachem's doing, you hear what, what Emma's doing, you hear what so-and-so's doing, you know, you kind of go, well, you know what? Why don't we get a group together that looks into that and providing that type of service? Well, and that's part of what the consortium has been all about, too, with, with, yeah. with SCLS, the Suffolk Cooperative yeah. Library System. And uh, that's right. It's a good point. I mean, bringing that up, right, the lending library they have? Yeah, sure. It's got to be 90% of the reason why anybody has a 3D printer in the county. Right, that was what introduced us to the to the whole concept. That's right, and for people that I guess are listening to us that aren't on Long Island, aren't familiar with SCLS, the Suffolk Cooperative Library System in Bellport, they introduced a lending library how many years ago? God, I don't even know because it just started with the three D printers. Yeah, and and they introduced things like the three D printer, and they would circulate them like they still do to libraries that wanted them, and they would have them on display there for a month or so, and patrons would get to experience them, and that really started, I think, the launch in the county of getting things like that and introducing patrons, the idea that a library could be used to introduce patrons to a new technology. Well, you know, taking that, that idea one step further, don't you think that that whole concept of seeing what somebody else is doing and then adapting it and copying it and, and manipulating it so it works for your population on a digital scale really started with that? Right. Because everybody's been, you know, visiting other libraries and saying that's a great idea to do this book display or a book discussion or or this that or the other thing. But now when you bring in the digital end of things, right. electronics, 
yeah. you know, it, it spurs the idea. Like we were just talking before, um, before uh, we went on the air, talking about a, a library that came to visit to visit uh, Sachem. Excuse me, excuse me, Mr. Radio Show host. Did you say on the air? Yeah, on the air. Well, oh, before we started digitally recording, it sounds better right. to say on the yeah, air. You're right. Yeah, it does. We're on the air. We're um, on the air. So libraries have been coming to see what we've been doing over at Sachem. Right. And what's, I think, really cool to see is how they've taken what we've done and made it work for them and done things that way. And in the same breath, um, this is kind of a callback for Bob, when uh, Melanie Cardone from the Longwood Public Library, who uh, we give credit to on just about every podcast now, um, mm-hmm. she and I had done that presentation on how to teach iPad and iPhone to uh, patrons and uh, we made those handouts for those classes available and what's fun to see are the other libraries who have taken those handouts and everybody started at the same point and seeing how they've all evolved into different classes some have broken into a group of six classes some consolidated it down to one or two but it started with that same with that one collaboration where we just shared the stuff and i'll tell you what every what all this stuff has in common in common is direction Somebody came up, stepped up, and provided direction. You know, in the consortium model, it was SCLS. In the training model, it was it was uh, you guys. You know, you and, and Melanie. Yeah, and it really, I think it's really paid off. And now it's to a point where uh, I think libraries are sharing with each other more than ever. There's less of a competition saying, "Did you see what this library is doing? Did you see what? Right. The, oh, oh, you know that library? They're always doing something." No, I, I think it's on the positive. I think it's like, "Wow, did you see what?" Now you know, it's so-and-so changed. is doing right. Yeah, it's yep. changed to that where it's, oh, do you think we can go see them and and yeah. go see what they're doing? Because when when we were just considering um, a makerspace, uh, a, a good friend of mine who was in another library said, you know, I have this friend and they work in Levittown and uh, you should go see. You should call them. And I, I called them cold and they opened with open arms, had us come over and we saw what they did and fell in love with it and we took aspects of what they were doing and integrated into what we were doing. So it really was, you know, that was the impetus for us to start. Yeah. And look what it's led to. I mean, it's led to some amazing innovations and, and just using technology in different ways that I don't think anybody dreamed up, you know? Well, and that's the whole thing too. You talk about, you know, how, how just in terms of serving the kids, right? How are we going to teach the kids who are coming into the children's department coding how are we going to teach them about robotics how are we going to teach them about digital recording and green screen and all that stuff yeah think about it five years ago yep these things are all dreams and and there are people now who have jobs who when they started college the jobs didn't even exist and now here they are getting out of college and these jobs now exist absolutely so as much as libraries are changing society culture and how, how the world does business is changing. Just the fact that you and I are, are conversing through the computer over uh, Google Hangouts, and it sounds so incredibly clear versus yeah. you being on a, a landline call, and it's not you know some, sounding like our parents listening to WOR, which is an, yeah. an AM radio station here in New York <clears throat> when we were kids, um, and waiting for the signal to fade in and fade out because of the <laughs> atmosphere. The fact yeah. that we can talk to each other and it sounds like we're in the same room, but yet you're you're still up at Emma, right? I am. Yeah, yeah. I'm at Yeah, and I'm over here at Sachem. So we're what about fifteen miles apart? Yeah, about that. 
Oh, but, at least, yeah. But, I mean, for people who have been listening, we've done the same thing with people in California and Illinois and Texas and Florida. And, I mean, it, this is something that was space-age 10 years ago. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you walked into Sachem Library 10 years ago and said, hey, in 10 years, you're going to have an engraver, a form printer, multiple 3D printers, and this, and this entire makerspace, right, that was birthed out of, uh, out of uh, passion and, and a couple of ideas, you know, they would have looked at you like, you're nuts. Where would we get the money? Where would we get the staff? Where would we get the hardware? What about the software? Who would hold on to this stuff? They would have went crazy. Well, they, would have, they would have said, forget it. There's no way that this is going to happen. Right, but now look at it. You're leading the county, you know, with that kind of stuff, so... Well, it's it's. Um, I don't even know. Oh, I already, I already built you up enough. What do you want to really say? There is nothing else to say. I mean, we just we do what we like to do. Yeah. And 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 there's just so much technology out there that you know one library can't do it all. So what's nice is when we give the tour, I always tell people, go ahead, take this and do something else too. Come up with a new yeah. idea, and it works. Yep, please. So cool. It really is. So what's next on our agenda? Well, let's cafes? talk. Let's talk about cafes because this is, um, again, we talked about this with Maurice Coleman in a previous episode, mm. uh, with the concept of that's the way things have always been done, and the the big thing that you think about with libraries is, uh, first of all, it's a female. She has her glasses on a chain. She has her hair in a bun with a pencil stuck in it. She's wearing a shawl. She's probably about ninety years old, and all she says is <laughs> shush and no. And one of the biggest things, and it's still this 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 mentality still exists. Not that mentality, but the mentality of no food in the library still exists, and it makes sense with regard to certain areas of the library where you may have some sensitive equipment. Yeah. Um, but now libraries are starting to introduce the idea of cafes. Uh, I know, Bob. Weren't you considering putting a cafe in at Emma? Um, we still are. In fact, a couple of months ago, the board expressed a great interest in it. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're working out the details as to where and how we're going to do it and funding and, and that kind of stuff. And, and it's, but it's a really fun time to work that stuff out because there are a lot of libraries that have done it before us. You, know, and what they, you don't have to be first to make something really great. Um, so we're looking at how they did it, uh, why they did it, and where they did it, um, and that kind of stuff. So that we can do it kind of maybe, maybe next gen, you know, maybe step up a little bit. Um, well, you know, part of it is the uh, the whole Starbucks um, mentality and the Starbucks, um, I guess it's a mentality where, you know, people like to have a, a fancy drink and those fancy drinks aren't so fancy anymore because you can get them at Starbucks and there's a Starbucks on every corner. So yeah. how do you make it unique for libraries? Well, first of all, you put it in the library, not mm -hmm. necessarily Starbucks, but some type of cafe. You make some kind of food and drink available. And maybe you reevaluate the no food or drink uh, policy. So, and with regard to putting a cafe in, now Sachem has a cafe. We've had a cafe for a very long time. Yeah. Uh, but we just, uh, we lost the previous tenant that we have because they rent the space from, from the library. The library doesn't, doesn't actually use taxpayer dollars for it. Um, and we now have a pretty fancy coffee house. Yeah, that, I've been there. I, I think it's fantastic. Actually, we're trying to to model it in a very um, similar direction. Yeah. So what happened was we uh, we put just a request for a proposal out there for um, for people to for for organizations and and you know who want to start a cafe or, or maybe they have a business 
and uh, we we have four. I think we had four people who respond, and one was the, the company that uh, we use now, which is Tend Coffee. They're based in uh, Shirley, New York. That's where they have their store, but they branched out to the Sachin Public Library, and I I can tell you that the staff is happy. Yeah, no, I've been there, and it's 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 fluid. It's seamless uh, in the Sachin Library. It fits, you know. Um, it is, and we want to do something like that. And we want to do something like that. It belongs, and you can't say that about every cafe try that libraries have done you know um, this well, this works out you got a really good thing going well it, it makes it makes sense because people like to drink coffee yeah uh, and it's it really is kind of fun when you're sitting at the desk to see how many they have a a white cup instead of it being a green i guess the thing you keep from burning your hands i don't know what they call it that ring that that cardboard ring right uh tend has a a red one like a burgundy color and it's fun to see how many of them walk by the desk and uh versus how many green ones you see which is not too many and we have a lot of patrons now that come in the morning when we open and there's a line just to go to tend to get their coffee wow that's impressive you know i think there's an expectation to it now because they're spending so much they're not coming to the library and dropping books off and leaving some people are of course but many people are coming to spend time here like they're home away from home and, you know, we're going to get into something in a little bit talking about Internet access, and it kind of plays into the same thing we're talking about with cafes. It's it's an expectation. What what do your patrons want? After all, this is their building, right? This is th- th- These are their services. What are, they, what are they expecting? If they want a cafe and, and most of them would enjoy it and, and use it, then you, you are, you know, kind of tasked now to provide them with a cafe. Well, you know, as, as you were talking, it just reminded me of um... – Libraries used to be a place to pick up and drop off, but now it's a destination. Yeah. And think of it in terms of the way the the Borders Bookshop model was. They didn't care if you sat there all day and just sat there and read the book and put it back on the shelf. It was the experience. They had the cafe. They had, you know, live entertainment. They had basically what yeah. libraries do, but they really didn't affect or hurt libraries. Right. And you know why? And I'll tell you why. And this is the point of this discussion. The point of this discussion the difference between borders and all these other, you know, brick and mortar shops and even Amazon when they started what they did. Um, this is already the patrons. It's already theirs. It already belongs to the community, you know, to the homeowners. So they enjoy it so much more because they treat it like that. When you see the patrons that come in, not only Emma, but libraries across the, across the world, it's theirs, you know? And when you do a renovation they take such pride in it, you know? And there really is a lot of pride in, uh, at least from my, what I've seen at work, this is ours. This is our library. When when people come up to the desk and request something, they don't say, does the library have or is this in stock? They say, do we have this? And right. the idea that they're using the word we as a possessive for, yep. the, for the building, for the facility, for the service, that says right. a lot about what the expectation is by patrons and what the, their, their feeling is by the patrons. Yeah, ownership, buy-in, all those things that you look for when you when you start something, you know? Absolutely, sure. And the neat thing is, through their tax dollars, they've already given you, you know, buy-in, right? And now it's just providing them with what they want. Exactly. So, I mean, cafes is great, and I think, you know, they're, they are fantastic. You know, a lot of libraries have them. I think a lot of libraries are going to have them over the next year or two. They're going to find, they're going to find money. They're going to, you know, uh, try and get some of that, that, Construction grant money that's out there, that gold money, you know. And don't forget about bullet aid, too. 
I was, you know, it's funny. I was just going to say that because the bullet grants have been fantastic. So for for people who who don't live in New York State and don't understand what what a bullet what bullet aid or a bullet grant is, it's extra money that is allocated by New York State to assist um, municipalities with doing some little some extra things. And in libraries, uh, at least with Satrium, it, it allowed us to start our makerspace. So it, it gave us the opportunity to do something that we wouldn't necessarily be able to do otherwise. Yeah. And it really is it is an asset for libraries because it doesn't come directly from – it comes from taxpayer uh, funding, but it doesn't come directly from the taxpayers of that district. So it kind of softens the blow and spreads out the distribution of where the money comes from for the whole state. I, I wonder if other states have that. Well, I think they probably do have something like that. I would, yeah, it depends. I guess it depends from state to state. But but getting that aid allows libraries to do just that little bit extra. And that little bit extra does make a difference, especially if it's done on the front end. It's not done in the back end with replacing a boiler or, or um, even like converting to LED lights or something like that. It's something that the patron can hold and touch and play with or use and utilize to develop something. That's a good point. And I'll tell you, you know, we got one from um, Senator John Flanagan uh, a, a few years ago. And I think uh, I wasn't sure about the amount that we got a few years ago, but we were able to completely renovate our technology center. Well, you built the, a multimedia room, right? Oh, man. I mean, and it's got televisions in it and it's got all the training stuff that we needed. And it's got, you know, 10 or 11 computers that, that we can now train on and do all that stuff. And three TVs that, that actually let, you know, at every angle, a patron can see what's going on and how it's happening. And um, we were able to do all of that, soup to nuts, you know, lock, stock, and barrel for uh, every dollar of that grant. And it was, it was, I mean, it really, they make use of it almost every day. And I think that's the important part. Uh, what you just said is really important. They use it every day. That's right. Yeah, that, that's, that's, think about, you know, in terms of um, what a library is, you know. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about it being a public place later, but it's a place where people can come there's no judgment there's no fees involved unless you return a book late or something um, <laughs> and even then they're very cordial they'll they'll take it away you know usually right and for us with the makerspace with the studio we uh you know there is a a, a nominal fee for doing some 3d printing and engraving um, well that makes sense though but most of it how much what's the percentage of offset 80 percent maybe more maybe less Oh, it's it's so affordable. I mean, most engraving jobs are no more than I think the most we ever charged for an engraving job was fifteen dollars, and that was for running the machine for an hour. Wow! So you're talking about engraving a, a full like sixteen by twelve image onto wood, and it's what fifteen dollars. Usually, it costs a lot more to do just a small thing. But think about how much it used to cost to engrave the back of an iPad or an, an iPhone or an iPod or something like that. Oh, yeah, it cost a fortune for something like that. Now you can do it in a couple of minutes in your home library. Exactly. So, you know, it, it, that, you know, it's just another service that you can provide. But, again, like I said before, most of the things that you're walking into are um, free or nominal fee services. Right. Subsidized by your tax dollars. Exactly. So you can get access to a ton of different things for free, whether it's a database access to the internet from one of the computers or Wi-Fi, um, you know, the books and all the other services that we provide. 
it's really the best the, the best value for your dollar it's pretty funny that's that that uh topic right there like segues right into our next very quick discussion because we've been talking about it and it's internet access as a utility and i and i i you know i wanted to talk about that for like two or three minutes just because it it overlaps with what we've been talking about but if our wi-fi goes down here for 30 seconds i've got 400 phone calls so you know it used to be like well yeah the library has internet yeah the library just got wi-fi yeah they have wi-fi that's great and it used to be a, a kind of like an addition to you know so that we had the books and we had the people but we, and, and in addition to that we had wi-fi and we had internet access now it's like the books are still here uh, they're circulating a lot in fact that's on the uptick right so the books are the libraries i don't think will ever uh, move away completely from books in fact that's kind of coming back into style now take a break from everything and go read right sure but but Internet access, and I think most of the services the library is providing have become a utility to the patrons. So your Wi-Fi goes down, it's just as bad as having a stopped-up bathroom or having your electricity go out. It's become one of those things where um, people think, the, not that the world is ending, but it's, it's something that stops somebody in their tracks. Because think about in terms it's of, ex- yeah. think about it, people are using it to do what they're doing. That's and, right. And that goes hand in hand with how much our digital lives have become such a big part of what we do every day. No. I mean, if I'm online, Chris, and I'm taking a test to get a job, right, and your Wi-Fi goes down four steps into that 19-step test, I may have just lost a job. That's true. So think about the resource that they're – how they're using the resources that have been around for a little while. But now, I mean, they're so necessary and, and so expected when they arrive. If if you go if the Wi-Fi goes down in the library, and you don't put signs on the doors, people will come in and get very aggravated, because they've they've come here just for that access. And it's a service that's expected now, as much as it would be to to place a book on hold or help somebody find a book. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And you know when you think about in terms of um, the physical service versus the the digital service that libraries provide, you know. If you think in terms of let's go back, let's go back to the '70s, right? So in the '70s we have uh, what part of the '70s? Because I will only be three if you go to the '77. <laughs> I'll be three years old. So. Yeah, I'm not going to talk about that. Oh, why well, you don't want to divulge your age? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. So in the '70s everything was paper, paper sources for everything, and right. um, and as things developed through the late '70s, where Maybe I think it was when. When did the they get rid of the the actual physical card catalogs and go over to what was a Gaylord originally? Oh yeah, boy. Well, there was, there was yeah. I guess it was Gaylord originally. Sure. With the CRTs. Yep. With the monochrome screen, so that was like the I would say probably eighty two, eighty three, and I'm sure that somebody Roger over at SCLS is jumping up and down saying you're getting it wrong. Right. Right. But, but so let's say late seventies, early eighties. Um, the card catalog started to go away, and they integrated an ILS. So right there, boom, there's your first yep. digital contact. That's right. And, and it, then we had InfoTrack. So it didn't take away the paper. You know, it wasn't taking away the paper research, but it was a supplement to it. And it just kept well, going I, yeah. further and further. So now it's 90-10. Now it's 80-20. Yeah. Now it's 70-30. Now when you get to the time of... The early 2000s, I, you know what, even before that, the 90s, when we had the first, before the dot-com bubble burst, 
when we had all this huge expansion in computers, when we went from Windows 3.1 to Windows 95 in a period of not too many years. Yeah, no, not at all. Uh, you know, we're talking from 1992 to 1995, and then that complete expansion and development of technology for PCs, which were desktop PCs at the time, uh, and laptops are just starting to come out. The, the amount of growth where things were running at 2 megahertz and then they went up to 30 megahertz and then 40 megahertz and then 60 yeah. megahertz and then they, you know, then it was Remember 75. The, the turbo button? Yep. Would exactly. get you from 66 to 75, I think, or something like that. That's right. <laughs> The math coprocessor, yeah, I remember. And then all when they dumped DOS and and you know Windows went to ninety five and then ninety eight yeah. and NT and all that other stuff, there was a huge leap forward. And then all of a sudden, maybe we should be offering computer access. Yeah. So now we went fractional T one to connect to the internet in the building, and now you know we go T one, and now you're talking in, in the era of MySpace where, you know. Computers have become part of the library at this point. Maybe you only had five public access computers, but you had them. Right. And then people would bring in their laptops, and maybe they're not plugging into a service, but they're bringing it there to, to type up a paper or do something because the the books were there so they could actually pull the books and work right there at, the, at one of the tables. Yeah. And then that evolution came one step further when, okay, now we're offering 10 machines on the internet, 15, 20, 25. And then at some point, Wi-Fi came. I don't know. I can't speak to when that happened. When do you think that happened, Bob? I don't remember the, the time when that was really. Oh, boy. Yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not positive. And I'd hate to put a date out there because, like you said, every tech guy on the planet can jump up and down and scream. That's not the day, you know. But why don't we say during the era of MySpace? <clears throat> yeah, probably. I think that's a fair. A fair. Yeah, early 2000s. Something like that, yeah. And now, you know and now it's a service that's expected. That's right. You know what's really funny? As you're going through the timeline, um, how many times do you think in that timeline that we just talked about from the from the late seventies to you know, let's go right to 2017? Did people say this is the thing that's going to kill a library? Yes, because we can do it at home. Remember the research? So when Google came out, oh my God, they're going to be able to use Google at home and research. That's and then when, the end when of libraries. Wi-Fi into every home, and Amazon opened up a storefront, and Borders came out, and all these other places came out, right? But the library didn't die, and I, I don't think it died. It didn't die because we adapted. You know, we 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 modified our areas of service, and we we came out with all new services. We increased other services. It's we, an evolution. You know, it's an evolution. That's a good point. And I think that's how we stay alive, by doing the things that we're doing, you know, the way that we've been doing it, but just differently. And that makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, they've been talking about the demise of libraries since the, since the InfoTrack era, and yeah. probably even before that, because the traditional thought of what a library is, and we've talked about this, God, in so many different episodes, um, you know, whether or not the term library is actually antiquated and should be replaced with something else. And a lot of people who we've talked to about this have turned my, my thought process um, because of the branding behind the term library. It's, it's changed now to a point where uh, it has the branding, but the younger generation doesn't see it the same way maybe we do or our parents or grandparents saw it, where it was a place you went, you got your book, and you left or you went there to do the heavy duty research because you had to get all these books out and you were or making yeah. photocopies of magazine articles or things like that where now we're seen as I don't want to say a source of entertainment 
we're still a source of information. It's just the information is gathered or and organized differently. And whenever you see an article in a newspaper or a magazine about libraries, and they have the comments on the bottom that, that people can write in about, you always get that guy, Why do we need a library anymore? We have Google. Well, it doesn't work <laughs> that way. Yeah, you know why? Because he hasn't stepped in a library in 30 years. Right, and he doesn't see some of the cool things that are happening there. And we're still primarily about keepers of information and disseminators of information. But we're doing so many other things now. We're educating. We've become a, an institution of learning. We've become – we're teaching people how to code. We're teaching people about digital literacy. We're teaching people about how digital ebooks work, how audiobooks work, how their mobile devices work. You know, yeah. We're doing so much more of that. And that's a great thing that we're actually doing more than just disseminating information we're teaching, and we're teaching more than we've ever taught before. I remember talking to um, – and that's a good point. And on that, I, I remember talking to Jerry Nichols. Remember Jerry Nichols? Sure. So he was the director of the Suffolk Cooperative Library System a number of years back. And, and he used to say – and he's right, and he's still right – that we're conduits of information. And, you know, it, just coming in from different areas. And now the patrons have all these resources that we're providing them. And they're really making great use of it. Absolutely. And, and that's – Part of what we're doing is the uh, is being that conduit of information. Anybody can go to Google or, you know, take their phone out and say, "Okay, Google," and ask it a question. And yeah. maybe for those, I don't want to say simple questions, but those questions that can get an answer quickly, like how many ounces in a gallon or, or things like that. Maybe Google's great for that, and Google's great for a lot of different things. It's a big maybe. It, but it's not about the results. It's about sorting through those results to find credible sources. Right. You know, we talk, we're in an age of um, fake news, um, yeah. you know, where people talk about you know, alternative facts and things like that. Yeah, and, and fact-checking, yeah. So you need librarians to help people who aren't sure about a particular topic know what, you know, what the straight, the straight talk is on it and, and what is... You know, what is the exact the weekly world news versus, you know, um, you know, maybe a source for a newspaper that's in Japan or in Australia that they didn't know about and they thought was fake. Yeah. You know, there's so much. And the amount of information that we have access to now is just mind blowing. Oh, it's too much. Do a Google search. It's one point six million results when you type in something like battery or something like, you know, it's it's, you know, when you go to a library, you get a valid relevant answer that's right and that, that you can trust you know and i can tell you from working at emma for the last uh, six years or so that we pride ourselves like i'm sure most most libraries do on providing relevant valid information in the sea of of chaos and and uh you know there's an acronym that we i think um you know bought into over here at emma called crap and uh and it's it's really all it talks about you know weeding through all the information the sea of information and coming out with valid, relevant results for the patron. Well, you just reminded me of there's this um, this patron who comes in, and she's she's a World War II generation person. Mm. And I, I have a, some some of the librarians get a little perturbed when she comes to the desk because she asks for biogra- you know, biographies or, or information about uh, movie stars from that era, from the 30s and the 40s. And I'm a bit of a buff about 
those people from that era. Uh, so I love every question she has for me. And, you know, I give her credit. She's got to be in her mid to late 80s, maybe early 90s, and she's still doing it. She's in the building every week, and she has another great question. So she'll give me, uh, you know, she'll ask a question about, oh, I don't know. What was one of the ones she just gave me recently? Um, Marilyn Maxwell. She's a, a singer and movie star from the, the 40s and 50s and early 60s. And I just so happen to know who she is. So I said, oh, yeah, she was uh, she was on uh, Bing Crosby's Craft Radio, uh, a craft music hall in like 1943, 1944. But mm. then she left because she made a really big movie with Paramount and she didn't need the radio show anymore. So she got replaced by, I forget the lady's name. And, and her eyes lit up. How did you know that? I wow. said, well, you know, I, I listen to old radio shows. And then I was able to go, and she wanted to know whether or not she was married and if she had any children. This is usually the, the question she asked. Is this person, when did this person die? What did they die of? And did they, were they ever married and did they have any children? So anybody can go to Wikipedia and, and get yeah. information. But anybody can also update anything about Wikipedia in Wikipedia. That's the scary part. You have to know, and not a lot of people who are outside of you know the information world know about IMDB, Internet Movie Database. And sometimes they have great info, sometimes they don't have a lot, and you have to supplement it with other things. But that's one of the go-to things that people don't know about. And now if this, this person who I've been helping was younger, maybe she'd know about it, maybe she wouldn't. Mm. And it's about disseminating the information because anybody can go to Wikipedia and pull up you know, Marilyn Maxwell and find out this, that, and the other thing about her. But how much of it is actually correct, true, and not made up things? Yeah. I mean, great example, a little aside about about Wikipedia. And this is probably going to make us lose a lot of listeners, but. (laughs) (laughs) No, it won't. They got to stay tuned because we got a a couple other things to talk about. Sure. Sure. So I'm not going to say I'm proud or not proud of it, but I used to listen to Opie and Anthony. And if anybody Hmm. knows about Opie and Anthony, they were two shock jocks uh, based in New York. And they did a lot of stupid, crazy things. But one thing they See, did. See, Chris listened to him. I didn't. So for the people that want to stay in tuned, right? How's that? Stay and listen for Bob. <laughs> yeah, so, right. So uh, one thing that they did, they called it the assault on the media. And they would tell their fans to go behind reporters when they were doing a, a remote shot and say, Opie and Anthony, WNEW, and, you know, like free plug things. Yeah. And they would. The, the, the listener would call into the show and, you know, say, I'm about to do it. I'm about to do it. And they would do it. And, you know, they'd all laugh and the reporters would get annoyed. And there was one particular reporter that they went after a lot. This woman who's still on in, in news today. Her name is Pat Battle. And they used to call it Pat Battle Mode. And every time they ah. did something to her, the fans wouldn't update her Wikipedia page. And it was all falsehoods and you know just silly things so it's a long-winded story just to say anybody can get into wikipedia and edit anything that's there so that's why i I cringe a little bit when i see colleagues go to wikipedia and print something out for somebody because it's like are you sure that's true and accurate yeah that's the real danger i mean of of libraries um or i should say it's the real danger of, of of the sea of information that's out there and the relevancy of libraries providing the the you know the right answers the valid answers 
And that the model that we've adopted here um, is, is all over. You know, you see it in many places is the CRAAP model. It's the C-R-A-A-P model. And it all talks about evaluating sources. And the first part of that is currency, the timeliness of the information. And you look at things like when was the information published or posted and has the information been revised or updated, like those kinds of things. Sure. And the R, the R part of that is relevance and the importance of the information for your needs and, and who is the intended audience, right? Sure. And then there's authority, the source of the information. So who's the author, publisher, source, sponsor? You look at the background of all that. And then there's the, the second A is accuracy, the reliability, truthfulness, and correctness of the content. Where does the information come from? And then the last one is purpose. It's the reason the information exists. What's the purpose of the information? Is it to inform, to teach, to sell, to entertain, persuade? All those kinds of questions have to be answered. And as you go through that process, you know, at the end, you get what, what, what we understand as relevant, um, valid information for the patron. And it's, it's really helped us out quite a bit. And, uh, and just having that model to go by um, informs the patron, too, that we're doing that service for them. You know, that's true. And um, I think there's just one thing I have to say uh, at this point, and that's um, we haven't said Ellen Druda in a while. Oh, <laughs> five bucks. Five bucks right there for Ellen Druda. Yeah. In a special edition episode, seven bucks. Oh, we're going to charge you seven. Mm-hmm. And since we brought up her name, it's actually a good transition to our next topic is library upgrades. Yeah. Because Ellen who works at the Half Hollow Hills Community Library, they just had a bond vote, and their bond got approved. So they are, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a rarity hey, Bruce, today. That's a clap. That's a clap. Come on. We clap that out. That's Absolutely. Awesome. Congratulations to Half Hollow Hills. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and so, I, you know, I, happen to, I happen to know the director over there, uh, Helen Crossan. So she uh, was the previous director of the, of the Cold Spring Harbor Library. And back a number of years ago, I think 11 or 12 years ago, somebody's jumping up and down saying I'm wrong. Uh, they built what turned out to be a $14 million building. And it's gorgeous. And, it looks like it's, it's been I mean, there forever. Oh, it looks like it's been there forever. It's built into the side of a mountain. I mean, it's beautiful. It looks like and, a huge Victorian. Yeah. And Helen did some heck of a job over there. I, I think they were able to raise something like $5 million out of you know the Friends Association. Um, you know, So the building cost them $9 million or something like that. And I got to tell you, with, with that lady behind the helm, um, this is all going to be nothing but a success. Uh, so I can't wait to see what they do and how they do it. Yeah, me too. I really can't wait to see how it, how it plays out and, and what the design is going to be. And I guess talking about library upgrades, you know, in this day and age, and I believe a lot of this is the patrons are approving these, these bond votes um, in many cases. And I think they're doing it because they, they deserve it. You know, they, they want to see their library succeed because it's theirs. Like we talked about before, it's mine. Do we have this? that type of mentality you know they take great pride in it i like you know like in a time i've never seen uh they take such pride in the in the grounds and in the building and the structure um and how it's built and new models and services that you that you incorporate into any sort of upgrade um so i think that's why you're seeing these things you know pass quite often well as you were saying as you were just speaking um it reminded me of our friend um in salmon idaho hmm it was Jeff Strata, right? Yeah. And he was talking about they had built a new building. And, okay, now this is very, you know, small-town America, but they actually had groups of people physically carrying the books from one building to the other. Right. And that speaks volumes as, as to what the value of a library is, that they that the community got together and helped move those books. Will that happen in every library, in every community? No. But, you know, that that image of 
just ordinary people carrying the books and moving the books just to yeah. help because they love their library. That, that's, that's very powerful. That's right. And you know what, what a lot of libraries do, and they struggle to do it, and it takes a lot of work to do it. I watch what, what our director, Ted Gutman, goes through over here to, to balance the budget and think about what's coming down the hill three, four, five years from now. Um, and I watch him, you know, every month and every year, you know, add up all these figures and, and get every, every cent out of every dollar that the patrons have, have given us, you know? Um, and I think libraries are doing that better than they've ever done it. You know, I, I watch the, and you look at some of the, um, increases per year, they're, they're minuscule compared to the services that are being upgraded. You know, and the work that's being done in the library, you see things like, you know, 0. 0.3, 0. 0.7, 1.0, you know, 1.1, something like that. Well, it also um, has to be mentioned that in New York State, there's a tax cap now. So we're, oh, we're yeah. severely limited in, in how much we can uh, raise the levy. Yeah. And at the same time, we've done more than we've ever done before. Yeah. So it, pay, it pays tribute to the people that are behind the scenes like Ted and like Neely that go through the budgets and, and, you know, penny for penny, dollar for dollar, they, they take the money the patrons have, have um, worked hard for and they make the most use out of it. And it's really amazing to watch them do it because I'm not geared for that. And Chris, maybe you agree, maybe you're not either. I'm not geared to make sense out of those numbers. That's just not something I've been blessed with, but these people do it and they, they, they take great pride in it and it really shows. They figure it out and yeah. you know, they do, they do great work. So I guess our point for library upgrades is the patrons deserve the best. They deserve somebody behind the helm, like the directors we were just talking about, um, that are going to make the best use out of that kind of money. You know, and and you watch, you know, you go into some of these places and you and you just go, you know, what are they doing? What are they what are they building that's next gen? What are they spending their money on? And the patrons expect the best. I think they deserve the best uh, within the realm of the finances that you have. And I think every staff member should think about that too. How can they stretch their dollar? You know. Well, that's that's ultimately the argument. No matter whether you work in private or public sector, where where do you get the most bang for your buck? What can you get the most from? And you know, library directors, they really, I, I know they they spend a lot of time trying to figure that out. How do you get the yeah. best quality for the best price? And you know, we all kind of do that in our personal lives as well, but. And you've been tasked to do such a such an amazing thing. I mean, think what other institution literally has blood and sweat and tears in their hands from the patrons working? It's true. It's very true. You know, the school district, I suppose, right? Well, think about too how many people who work in the library live in that same community too. That that the more you see that in a building and in a in a in that library district, it says a lot about the uh, the commitment of the people who are working there who love their, their local library and it says a lot about the community as a whole that's a good point especially the older established communities that have been around for hundreds of years you know when you see folks that are that are really wanting to serve on the boards and wanting to get a job here when they get out of school or, or while they're still in school um, sure. it's really refreshing to see that absolutely so I think we need to take a short break uh, because we've been going for quite a while. But when we come back, we're going to talk about a couple other things. We're not going to have the third segment that we usually have because pretty much everybody knows about me and Bob. You don't want to do the .032 list? No, nah, we'll skip it this time. All right. But okay. we, we'll still give credit to Melanie Cardone from the Longwood Public Library five for coming bucks. up with the idea. We should get five bucks for that too, shouldn't we? At least. It should be any name drop. 
They have to pay us five. Uh, I don't know any name, any necessary name drop. But That's Ellen, not... Ellen especially, Ellen Drew. Ellen, Ellen will have a name drop on every episode we ever do. Right. Well, she's she was the uh, the inaugural guest, so yep, we have to do that. So let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we have more interesting things to talk about. So we'll be back in just a moment. Okay, we're back. It's me and Bob in the unepisode. <laughs> the unepisode. I like it. The unconventional episode. Uncon. Un- yeah, and we are episode thirty. Can you believe it? Wow, three zero. Well, in Friday the thirteenth, episode three zero. Good yeah, times. It's hysterical. So And to think it's inspired by Maurice Coleman. Because, Maurice right, Coleman, he- T is for training podcast, the guy who does it over the telephone. Yeah. I love it. So let's talk about you know, how do you find out what patrons really want? Now hmm. Again, if you go back to the, to the I don't want to call it the Stone Age of libraries, but the pa- let's call it the Paper Age of libraries. All right. Um, what did patrons want? They wanted uh, the bestsellers and enough of them. Yeah, true. Good point. They wanted a reference collection that was going to be up to date, whether it was whether it was coin value books or. Um, literature criticisms or 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 even having the statutes you know federal state statutes they wanted to have the most up-to-date information and how has it changed now what do they want they want they want digital services they do they want i mean how many libraries still have a reference collection um we do and i I tell you it it does get used and you know i i think yes they definitely want digital services you know but there's this upswing now regular book services again, you know, are coming back into play. They never died. They did dwindle down, you know, to a degree, but they're coming back. We see a lot of books going out. We see a lot of materials going out, coming in. A lot of people, you know, kind of hanging out in the library, just reading. And honestly, they treat it as a break. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, yeah. It's a break from from the digital um, yeah. onslaught that we have to face every day. Oh, man, onslaught's the, onslaught is the right word because it's it's everywhere. And to, and to get away from that. Some people would love to just curl up in a corner of a cafe or, or a corner of a, a reading room, right, and read a book. Sure, absolutely. We see it all oh, the time. I see it all the time yeah. at work. It's nice to see. You know what? It's actually kind of nice to see every now and then a person with a book in their hand, and you know they've been reading there for a few hours, and maybe yeah. they dozed off a little bit. That happens. Yeah, we used, remember we used to wake them up and kick them out. <laughs> but yeah. now, 
now you're encouraged like no please you know hang out don't set up a cot or anything but hang out yeah exactly that means they're they're going to be here for the long haul so what do patrons really want nowadays yeah i mean that's the question of the of the of the age i think as you get into 2018 now right so i think overall you could say they want access i think that's the biggest word you know and valerie lewis right will tell us access equals life and they want they want access you know that what have you got for me today you know you've got newspapers you've got books you've got online services you've got wi-fi you've got all this stuff that's that's fantastic what have you got next you know uh and i think uh, a lot of libraries are doing a good job of introducing uh patrons to what's next or at least what's current but certainly what's next and and not just exposing them to it but getting them to use it now the big joke with maurice coleman when we were talking about 3D printing, and yes, we named the episode that, um, that you don't work a 3D printer. You know, it doesn't have a joystick. It's not a claw machine. Right. And I still love that line. That was, that's, that's funny. Uh, and so I, when people say, I want to work it, I said, well, do you know how to work your printer at home? Well, yeah, you press print. And so but what, did you just walk in and press print, or did you work on it first? Oh, well, I had to type something, or had to, you know, make something. Well, the concept is the same with 3D printing, it's not what you do with the printer. It's what you do on the the back end to make that printer do all those amazing things. So once people get that concept down, they can't wait to go to Tinkercad. They can't wait to use SketchUp. They can't wait to jump onto Rhino or any of those other packages. And the younger they are, the less of a learning curve they have. Yeah. I mean, the same goes for Photoshop or... Adobe Illustrator or any of that stuff, you know, it's about making that final product with the software. So when, and I think too, the expectations have changed because older generations who had that expectation of paper are still there, but the younger generation doesn't have the expectation of going there to get a book. I mean, they still do get books because they don't have to buy the books, but they're there for other reasons whether it's programming especially in the children's department where there's gobs and gobs of of programming or whether it's the environment or whether it's now you've aged out and now you're in teens and now there's a whole different repertoire of programming for teens or whether it's sat review or extra help or anything else that furthers education these things didn't exist the way they exist now back in the 70s and 80s that's right there was no homework help Homework help was your mom screaming at you at the table, do your homework. That was homework help. Why did you get a C? Study harder right. next time. Why don't you hang yeah. out with the smart kids? I did my homework on the bus. I didn't have any homework. <laughs> yeah. yeah well, funny. I mean, and that goes towards pay, uh, patron expectations. Uh, now we actually have BrainFuse, yeah. which is a digital – it's a service that is offered by SCLS where, let's face it, Bob, I don't know about you, but I can't do – uh, sixth grade math or eleventh grade math. Common Core? Can you do Common Core math? Uh, we've moved past Common Core here now, but it's still it's still algebra, <laughs> it's still geometry, and you right. know yeah. I can figure out square footage to lay carpet, but I can't necessarily figure out the square footage of a star. Hmm. So you know, and then there's all the other complicated math that that goes on. So it's great that you know you can jump on the BrainFuse through the portal through your library, use your library card to log in. Select the grade, select the topic, select the subtopic, and then you have a tutor that's chatting with you online. It's incredible. Working through the questions. That's great. Imagine if we had that when we were kids. 
I would have got better grades. <laughs> Probably. Me too. Yeah. So funny. So, you know, what do patrons want? I'm going to throw this out there. Patrons don't know what they want because things keep changing. That's that's absolutely probably one of the best statements that you could say about this topic. That's true. So why don't we transition from what patrons want to what it takes to staff a modern library? So that's we can one. talk professional versus non-professional staff. And yeah. haven't those lines blurred just sure a have. little bit? So it used to be bit. black and white. Now it's different shades of gray. Oh, 50 shades of gray. Huh? Uh, we're not going How'd there. How did you like that? How did you like that? Nice. That was a nice transition right there. So how many times, you know, I, I, I worked as a page back in the 80s, and if the librarians heard you even tell a patron where the car repair manuals were, you were called in and you were spoken to because only librarians can tell people where things are. Right. Um, well, you're going to poke you're gonna poke some people today, aren't you? Well, you know... That it's the truth, though. That yeah. mentality is not really there anymore. If there's a clerk or a, or a page and, and they're shelving, who is more qualified to actually say where something is? Yeah. The people who touch the books every day. Now, you know, as a profession, you know, the people who are sitting at the reference desk who are librarians, are they the ones that are supposed to be, you know, doing all of that work? Yeah, but this is not a day where that's all they did any do anymore. Right. There's, there's so also, many other things. I know when I'm sitting at the desk... I'm figuring out programming. I'm jumping off the desk if I can to look at what's happening with the, the 3D printer or discussing what we do with 3D printing or engraving or scanning or green screen or whatever else we're doing in virtual reality. Uh, or I'm helping them with their tablet because they want to get onto overdrive or they want yeah. to, uh, you know, they're looking to, do something digitally that they didn't know before. Maybe I'm giving them tips on how to take a picture with their iPhone. So the whole concept of staffing now is kind of morphed because I'm not the only person as a library professional that is el that is qualified to do that. Now, a clerk and a page may be able to do that too because guess what? They have one in their pockets as well. Yeah, and think about the cost effectiveness of that. Sure. You know, of not, and I'm not saying, I mean, you know, we have a very good staff of librarians and most libraries do, but the cost effectiveness of, of allowing a page or a clerk to assist the patrons in those tasks um, is huge. Absolutely. Because now we're sharing the burden. Right. Uh, you know, I'm sure there are people out there that are saying, but how come they're not getting paid the same amount? Um, and that is something that's more of a civil service thing. If you're in a civil service library or if you're in a non-civil service library, it has to do with, you know, titles. Right. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that someone who, you know, is a page isn't necessarily going to be a librarian or a director one day. That's true. I mean, I know I can speak um, from personal experience with my wife. My wife started as a page in a children's department in her library, and now she's a director. So... It, it happens. It happens more often than you think. And your wife is a tremendous director. Oh, thank you. She's wonderful. I see. I think so. And that's just that's not just because Chris could cut me off anytime, but she's just a, <laughs> she's one of the she's one of the, you know, the, the, the small group of, of folks that are looked up to that run really tight ships that run really next gen places. Um, and, you know, the, the libraries around them look up to them as um, leaders, you know. 
Well, and that's that's part of it. I mean, in any profession, you're going to have good leaders and bad leaders. But right. it seems as we have a disproportionate amount of very good leaders in, in our yep. county. And, and that wasn't and, always the case. <laughs> right. And, you know, I can even say I don't know a lot of uh, directors in, in our uh, neighboring county in Nassau County, but the ones that I've met have been exemplary. Yep. Really, really impressed with them. So, so I guess that's the that's the the crux of the whole situation is how do you staff a modern library? And honestly, you know, um, there's a like you said a gray line between the professional and non-professional staff, or what what used to be referred to right as the non-professional staff, um, the back the back end people. Right. I mean, what what do they? Everybody has their job duties because civil service kind of defines that. And if you're not a civil service library, you know, I don't know, because, Bob, your your library is not civil service. How do they define uh, positions and, and descript- job descriptions? Do you know? Uh, same thing, job titles and the descriptions that go with job titles um, mm-hmm. are modeled loosely after, you know, civil service. Right. And steps and things like that. Um, sure. Contracts and all that other stuff. Yeah, we're not a so we're a free association library, and I'll tell you, you know, actually, what's just popping in my head, and the reason why I'm kind of stumbling is because I just thought about one of the most unique jobs in the library that has, has that is really rising, coming up in in terms of, um, uh, I guess, necessity is the facility manager. You know, so what what who used to be the custodian, right? You always called them the custodian, the janitor, or things like that. Now libraries are are hiring what we call facility managers, people that are really responsible for for the electrical and things like that and upgrades and repairs and you know striping of the parking lot who's going to who's going to negotiate that and talk about that and present those to the director for approval and get that work done and see that it's done well and i know at sachem you have a tremendous facility staff um yeah it really is it's it's amazing how many people that we have that that do so many different things and you know what it's it's that is an up-and-coming um job you know, for, for people down the road too to look into because the because what are, now we're becoming utilities, right? And our services are becoming um, that much more important. So backing those services up and doing jobs like, you know, that what I do here at the library and what, what our, our um, facility manager Jim Krause does and what your facility folks do and what you do at, at Sachem, they are so necessary and immediate. If bathrooms get clogged up, that's a problem. If lights Absolutely. are out, that's an issue. Because your patrons are expecting now the best exemplary service. That's right. So you've got to back that up with, with uh, professional staff that can handle these things appropriately. And, and in the same breath, we also have people that um, do a lot of the thankless jobs back in tech services. Yes, good point. But tech services is changing as well. You think? <laughs> no, with you want regard- to talk about how that's changing, Chris? Well, <laughs> It's um, a lot of the publishers, not the publishers, but the book distributors, the Ingrams and the Baker and Taylors, are now offering to pre-catalog and pre-label the materials that were done by the people who were in technical services. And Sachem tried it. It didn't work out so well for us, so we went back to the old way of doing it. But I know some other libraries, I think Mastic Mariches is one of them, uh, that has worked with the the vendors and gotten it to work. So we talk again about you know staffing concerns in the modern library. Will tech services go away? No, of course not, because anything that's cataloged is still going to have to be checked. And right. there's still going to be times when 
book processing is still going to have to be done in-house. That's never going to go away. But right. will tech services departments shrink? Probably, yeah. I mean, like I said before, they're not going away. But I do think that as technology progresses further and further, who knows, maybe they'll eventually come up with uh, universal stickers. Now, every library has their own preference with regard to putting stickers on their books. You know, They have YA labels, some... Some libraries mark books that are westerns and and sci-fi and fantasy and urban fiction and all that stuff, and everybody has their own labels for that. But maybe one day there will be an industry standard for those labels, and they'll all be the same. Yeah. Um, We're certainly moving towards that with the self-processing. But, you know, how how does a library deal with a dwindling tech staff? How do people who work in tech deal with that? What we've seen, and, and I guess what's probably going to come out of this um, initially, is a lot of them transition over to circulation, because that's where we need some more assistance. Maybe not with check-in, check-outs, but certainly with uh, development of the circulation department, because they're doing quite a bit more as well. You know, we're circulating items and circulating, uh, you know, railways uh, and things like that. We're circulating, um, in some cases, libraries are circulating. Well, which is what we're going to talk about in a couple of minutes: things, shovels. Circular saws, you know, stuff like that. Exactly, sure. Yeah, I mean, it's a so, matter of, yeah. you know, circulation does more than just check your books in and out. There's Absolutely. also fines that's that have probably, to be paid. Um, yep. You know, there's dealing with RFID issues, you know, holds that um, that are waiting to be picked up. And some of that has gone self-service as well. But you, there's something to be said for the level of service that's provided by the circulation staff to the patron. Yeah, and you know something? That's why I think self-service will only take off so far because they remember what they said when Home Depot and Lowe's and King Cullen, all those places got self-service? Oh, man, all these other, you know, you know when, when they help you out with the bags and things like that, they're gone. All those jobs are gone. It's all going to be self-service. I hate self-service at Home Depot and Lowe's. Well, there's always somebody that is monitoring it. Well, yeah, but you know what? I just, I just hate the experience. It's so cold and dead. It's like shaking a fish, you know? It's, it's cold and it's just, I want to... The more that I have a phone and have an iPad and have a laptop and have kids with phones and iPads and laptops, I want to interact with people. You know, I want to put all this stuff down and see somebody and say, hey, how was your day? Can you help me scan this thing and check me out? You know? Yeah, that's true. I want that. But we also want Amazon. We do. Well, for some things, though. Right. There it's are times when that's things. great. I want, I want something tomorrow. But when I go to a place that I want something today, I want to see somebody. I want to talk to somebody. I want to, I want to you know. Tell them to have a nice day, that kind of stuff. Absolutely, sure. And th- and the same thing holds true in circulation. You know, because yeah. people aren't going to know how to use self-check. People aren't going to want to use self-check. People are going to want to, you know, have holds. And, you know, that actually brings up, I know we didn't want to talk about this, but it, we talk about staffing, right, um, and staffing concerns in a modern library. I know that there's two schools of thought with this. There's a yes and no but putting librarians at the circulation desk. Think about that for a minute. Yeah. That has been something that librarians have traditionally not been for. Or circulation. (laughs) I haven't been for that either. Right. So what's keeping librarians from being at um, all the service desks? So let's think about this for a second. Um, Circulation is usually by the front door, and they are the first face of the library for patrons. They are there. And a lot of times a patron will come up 
not knowing. I mean, how many times did they call cir circulation clerks librarians? And I'll ask a question. Oh, but you have to go to the reference desk, which is yes. over there. So now there's pointing involved right. as opposed to helping the patron. So now the patron has to walk to the reference desk. And now they have to ask the question. And now, yeah. you know, there are various schools of thought with regard to saying it's at 646.7 Bob. <laughs> and then they point as opposed to saying, let's go to the shelf together. There's... Oh, I don't think that's service. I don't have one librarian on staff that will point somebody to um, 646.7 Bob, whatever. You know, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't have one that would do that. But there, there is a trend. Well, I think that's disgusting. Well, and I, I don't disagree. I always get up. Partially, too, because I want to get the steps on my Fitbit, but mostly because I want to help the patron. Yeah. Um, so, you know, staffing concerns in the modern library. Do we call it a reference desk anymore? Or do we call it a point of service desk? We don't call it an information desk because that's, to me, that's just wrong. It's well, remember, a... remember 10 years ago? I think it was 10 years ago because I was still, let's see, for it. I was just leaving SCLS, I guess, to go to Port Jeff. That time they said they were going to introduce, or libraries had ideas to introduce reference kiosks or information kiosks. Do you remember those? Sure. Where they would do away with the reference desk in some areas and put these little stand-up type jobs where you could go for information. And some libraries took it a step further and didn't even have that. They had, had like roaming librarians that as, as librarians would see people, they would say, can I help you? Can I get you this? Can I get you that? And it kind of faded away, never took on. Well, every model that I've seen with roaming, roving, or whatever you call it, yeah, it, it never really worked out because what do you need as a librarian? What tool do you need? You need access to the catalog. So if you're roaming slash roving, yes, I said slash, um, you need something with you, and the technology wasn't there. Technology yeah. is now there. The technology of having a mobile device in your hand and assisting the patron is there. So should it be re-examined? You know, maybe. But it's funny. When the technology came out to run Sierra, which is Innovative Interfaces um, you know, Circulation Program, which is what we use in many libraries in Suffolk County, uh, when that technology came out to make it mobile and they came out with the mobile catalog, uh, we introduced it. And, and a, lot of, a lot of libraries introduced it, and it just didn't catch. You know, I, I don't know why. There's something about the city the service model of walking up to a comfortable um, reference desk area or, or at least small service area where you can get one-on-one -on -one conversation and you're mm -hmm. not disturbing anybody. You know, our, our stacks are really uh, pretty close to some study tables and scenarios. And I think, I don't know. And then, and then what we ran into is a librarian would be extensively helping somebody in a stack and there'd be somebody showing up at the reference desk to get help as well. Mm -hmm. so, so then you needed extra staff. And how do you deal with that? Well, staffing staffing a reference desk is always it's uh, that's your help. <laughs> it, it, it's it's hard because, and I mean I've worked in several libraries and the point of service is different from community to community. Uh, so you can have one reference desk that, after a four hour shift, you are exhausted because you just help. You were just like the Carnegie Deli, where yeah. you know it's one right after another. And True. there's always a line. And then there are other places where, you know, it's it's much simpler because there aren't that many patrons coming up and asking questions. So every community, it's let me put it this way. There's no 
one single answer to this. It's needs-based and it's very subjective because every library is different. That's right. So, you know, what are the staffing concerns in a modern library? The answer is... Everything. <laughs> you have to look inside at your library and see what you need. Yeah. And what the patrons want and how they want it. Correct. Because like you said, self-check may work in a library that's fast-paced and it's in and out. There's, there's a lot of in and out, right? Mm -hmm. But it may not work in a, in a village, in a village library where people want to come in and they expect the circulation uh, attendant to say, hey, Fred, how's it going? How's your wife? How's the new dog you got last week? You know, they want that. And that means a lot, I think, to patrons when you remember them and because they remember you. Yeah. So it is a good trick to, I don't want to say trick, but it's, it's good service to uh, try to remember the people too. So, Absolutely. So let's transition to um, another topic. Um, the library is a public place. A lot of people tend to not really realize, because let's face it, some of our buildings are extremely comfortable, that it is a public building and some very strange public things happen. Yeah. I think this is where you get our, this is where we get our second wind, right, Chris? Yeah. And for folks that have been listening to this all time, awesome for folks that just that just, just tuned in or kind of fast forwarded. So library is a public place and it's just like, you know, like Home Depot, like Lowe's, like King Cullen, like all those other public places. We don't DMV. have any authority. <laughs> DMV, oh my lord, that's scary. We don't have any authority over your children or over anything that, you know, that that can kind of be misrepresented like some people think we do. So I, I don't know if you have this this problem at Sachem, but I've seen it across uh, you know, the the uh, the island that, that people come in, drop off their kids for programs and then leave. You know, yes. and it's a babysitter for an hour and a half, two hours, and that's just not the way it works. Correct. Um, besides that, you know, they expect us to provide security or provide these things, and they're surprised when something happens that's kind of out of tune. You know, and we have to explain sometimes that this is, uh, and we've actually had to explain in, in many libraries to staff that this is a public place. You know, you're, you can't just ask that person to leave because you may have an issue with what they're doing if they don't violate library policy this is a public building you know so if a, if a if a if a person comes in home depot and he comes down the aisle that you're looking uh, an electrical outlet or something like that and he smells a little bit off you know or he smells a little bit like liquor uh, you can't ask him to leave home depot and home depot can't ask him to leave home depot unless he does something that violates the policy well let's also look in terms like this home depot is a private company right. uh, and it's owned by a corporation it's a private corporation so they have more latitude to say get out they probably have more than we do yeah exactly yes when you're a publicly funded building unless you're doing something that's violating the law or violating the policy the established policy of the library they can do it if somebody wants to start not necessarily jumping on a soapbox and pontificating, but if they want to start talking about something or have a discussion with someone and it's a racy discussion, it's a discussion that's not considered socially appropriate, um, but they're having that discussion quietly enough where they're not disturbing other people or maybe they are disturbing other people just by the nature of what they're talking about, not necessarily the volume or they're not taking their clothes off or anything like that. They can do it because there's freedom of speech in this country. And so long as they're not 
doing something that's in violation of the library policy or the the laws of you know any municipality that governs that area, they can do that. So try to do that in Home Depot. That's true. You know, so even so, even that analogy um, is making libraries look even more public. You know, than than a Home Depot, like you said, a privately owned entity. Yeah. So it, um, you know. We can't kick someone out unless they're doing something extremely nefarious, extremely offensive, um, and by offensive, you know, you know, taking off their clothes, or maybe they have body odor that's so bad that people can't be in the same area as that person, right. or, you know, for any number of reasons. Uh, it has to be so egregious and violate policy that it has to be addressed yeah uh even if somebody's talking loudly you know libraries aren't places where people get shushed anymore yes there are quiet areas and if somebody is speaking loudly we can ask them to go to another area of the library to speak or talk on their phone uh but you know we can't ask them to leave just because they're being a little loud that's right and you know something when they get loud uh, we, we took a course here <clears throat> um I think a last year or the year before on verbal judo. And I know Chris, you're, you're a big fan of this too. Absolutely. And it's, it's all about de-escalation. So when somebody gets up in your face or yells, or there's somebody screaming at the circulation desk for the dollar, you know, you, you de-escalate, you know, you withdraw from the real issue and you start talking about, you know, well, well, what do we need to make sense of the situation? You know, and 99% of the time, I think, and I, I bet you your experience is the same. It works out. You know, you, you kind of diffuse the situation. You de-escalate. Whereas, Ten years ago, you would have fought for the two bucks for the replacement card, but now you're like, you know what, sir? No problem. Let's get this all worked out, you know, or something like that. Yeah, let's figure this out. You know, no. and I think that helps. That takes all the verbal judo is all about taking away right the other person's armor, you know. So their backs up, and if you don't get your back up and you just diffuse the situation, uh, there's a lot that comes out of it that's good. And sometimes it's something as simple as just having a second person to speak to. How many times have you? gotten into it with somebody on the phone and I want to speak to your whatever and that second person comes on and you're all wound up because this person treated you like complete garbage and that and then they get on and they're sweet as can be to the next person and then it's resolved yeah, that's right yep, that's right and then you say well you, the person who's your supervisor or, or or boss or whatever says oh they were lovely on the phone what was the yeah. problem you know what? You know what? The, this plays into a story, and I got to share it with you. Um, and I think our listeners will like it. And um, it's still around. And it's really it's a shame that this type of treatment is still around. But it happens more often than um, I'd like to admit. I see it all the time. And and in libraries, uh, from small village libraries, quaint libraries to big, tremendous libraries, where women are treated different than men, and it's a tough conversation to have because you don't think that stuff happens anymore uh, in 2017. But I've witnessed um a female librarian or a female employee talking to a patron and saying um okay this sir and saying the exact same thing all right this is how it's going to work sir this is what we can do for you sir and the patron kind of like really treating them badly and i've watched a male walk up to these types of people and say the same exact thing word for word i've been one of the people and watch them just say oh thank you for your help and leave it's and sad, that, isn't it? That still exists. And, you know, I was put aside. And I think the people that were around to watch this happen were really put aside because you really don't think it exists until you see it happen in front of your face. And what's interesting, too, is usually in a female-dominated um, industry that libraries have been over the past 100 years, 
yeah. you would think that people would acquiesce to the authority right. of the person because by virtue of the fact that the traditional librarian that most people think of is female. Right. And that was the surprising thing. You would think by now all that stuff had been weeded out or that we had grown up and matured in such a way, you know, as a society that that wouldn't exist. But yeah. I'll tell you what, I guess just like all these other things that we didn't realize exist, uh, it comes out. It's 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 sad. It's not 1952 anymore. No. So let's talk about the, the, the final topic we wanted to talk about today, and that is the Library of Things, which we kind of touched on before with SCLS. But this seems to be a new trend, and this has to do with circulating non-traditional items that are ne not necessarily items that libraries have have circulated in the past. I know that um, there's a, a, a big project where it's actually entitled the Library of Things over at the Connecticut Library. Uh, we are not necessarily starting it yet at Sachem. How about it, Emma? Uh, no, you know what? We've talked about it in times past, but we may revisit it just to see uh, exactly, you know, how it would work. And I think it's very interesting. And I think, I think there's a spot to it. I think it's part fad, but I think a part of it will stay. I don't know if I'm making myself really clear, but you know, it would be great if they can go down to a library and get a shovel or a circular saw or something else. And I think for the first couple of maybe really high on the upswing, and then come down and kind of. And things that you can uh, loan at the library. And I think there'll be some interesting stories. You're breaking up from a work bit, that Bob. has to be done, Chris. And you having been involved in, in the law in the past, you know, might agree that if we lend a circular saw to a patron, it's kind of a bit different than lending for a Galaxy tablet or a book. You know, it's they're true. probably not going to cut their finger off with a Galaxy tablet or a book. Um, what happens to the library if something like that happens I, I haven't heard of a story of it happening but go to cut that piece of fence that I borrowed the circular saw for and I cut my finger off you know what kind of liability do we now put the the, the, the patron served library at you know right and that's a big issue for libraries especially if some of them are self-insured yeah and I so I tremendous push for the lending of things and then there'll be a little drawback when the when these stories come out of what happened uh, and then there'll be a, a settling and a leveling off. Well, I think a lot of times too. With, Some of the things. Oh, sorry, go ahead. With with the um, with the library of things, I think the trend. Although we have seen fishing poles be lent out at some libraries and um, you know other real world items, I think the I think the the push is more on the technology end at this point. Um, I can see the, the usefulness of tools, and I know libraries have, have loaned out tools and not necessarily, um, you know, circular saws or, you know. <laughs> hey, there are some that do it. Uh, there are some that do it, yeah but, um, yeah, but more in terms of, oh, I need a ratchet set or I need, I need an OBD2 OBD scanner or an OBD3 scanner so I can see what the, why my check engine light is on. Uh, I think I think you're right. I think that's where it's going to level off, and that lending is going to be very um, popular. Yeah. I know that uh, the Connectquat's loaning iPads now, and I think they're loaning Apple TVs. I'm not 100% sure, but they're doing Chromecast. I know that. Now, how would you know that? Oh, I don't know. I'm just saying. How would you know that? Yeah. This is just a person <laughs> that I'm married to. There but, you go. But it is interesting to see, and I, I'm curious to see how it works out there, and I'm hoping um, – 
Jesse Renard, who's their, their IT person over there, along with Janet Cowell, um, they're developing this. And I'm, I'm going to be interested to see how this works out in a year. I think that type of lending will really work out. And I think that's the direction that libraries should really put some effort into and some budget money into. Because I think there's a hole there that we could fill. And that's what I'd like to actually look at at Emma as well. Um, and I think that's a safe play. You can do those things and not really risk much damage, you know. Um, and you can stay away from the crazy stuff that uh, I'd like to actually start lending fishing rods here at the Emma Clark Library because we have many, uh, I guess, ponds and, and things like that that you can fish in. There is a certain amount of liability there, too. Yeah, I suppose so. But you With know what? I think that's yeah, I think that's probably edgy enough that you can be safe. Well, I know Patrick um, Medford had done it in the past and Mastic Mariches yeah. had done it in the past. So yeah. it's not like they're that they haven't felt it out and, and saw what the drawbacks were. Right. But I think the technology and um and I know it's is kind of a hacky thing to say at this point, but the uh lending of technology bridges the gap. Not so much for people who don't know how to use it, but people who nece can't necessarily afford maybe an Apple TV or an iPad or, or things like that, where now they have the ability to use it. Or a great example at the Brentwood Public Library, uh, loaning out the mobile hotspots. They have, yes. They have that's, a that's large amount of them. Popular. So people who don't popular. otherwise have access to uh, the digital world can then connect Maybe they yeah. have maybe they have a track phone or something, and they don't want to use their data. They can turn on that mobile uh, mobile hotspot, and now they have internet in their home that they don't have to pay for. And you know, I've seen on that point, I've seen great deals coming from that that nonprofit organization TechSoup. Yes, um, where they have you know services and programs of donations from companies like T-Mobile and those other companies out there that that have those hotspots, and you can buy them at an administrative cost fee of like uh, I can't tell you, maybe it's fifteen twenty bucks, but it's it's not expensive. No, and it makes some sense, especially for yeah. if you have underrepresented people in the community. I think that's the model. You know, I really think the library of things and the new trend and the and the, the loaning of those types of things like the OBD2 scanners, that type of stuff, I think that's where it's going to take off. The ConnectQuad type model makes a lot of sense, and, uh, and I think that's where it's really going to succeed. Um, you know, and if they don't push the envelope too much, they're, they're going to do really well at it, and I think other libraries should, uh, should start to think about that model. Well, I think... As we go forward in the future, people will be looking to see what ConnectQuad does, and uh, I think I think they're going to be very successful. Yeah, and I think you know I th that's probably where I'd like to um, sit down and talk to some staff at the Emma Clark Library and, and talk about that model because I think it's safe, especially the OB2 scanners, those kinds of things, um, Apple TVs, those kinds of things. I think that's great. And you know, so how far are we from being able to take your car to the library and have it scanned with the OBD2 sensor and then do a little bit of research? on the fix and then go to your local station and have it repaired. It makes a lot of sense. Doesn't it? It really does. Or even taking it another step further and having classes on how to change a tire. There you go. So yeah, stuff like that. These are all, you know, concepts that really aren't that far into, uh, to what we do nowadays. That's a good point. It is. So what do you think? You think we've uh, we've hit enough topics for tonight? Episode, Chris. What's that? You broke up there, Bob. Episode. Episode. Oh, okay. Well, you keep breaking up. So I guess that's the internet gods telling us we need to uh, wrap up this episode. <laughs> Uh-oh, I think I lost Bob. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you. There you go. Okay, we're back. 
Okay. So funny. So I think uh, it's a great episode. No, I think our people are going to like this. Yeah, I think so too. I think we uh, were able to just sit down and kind of let our hair down and talk about some interesting things happening in library land. Yeah. Once in a while, it's a good thing to do. Absolutely. Okay. So let's wrap it up. And um, I'm going to put on this and say, that's all the time we have for this edition. If you have any questions or comments on our show, go to our contact us section of our website, thelibrarypros.com, where we'll have uh, notes and links from uh, all of our episodes. Uh, and you can check us out on Twitter at The Library Pros and on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Library Pros. And please don't forget to subscribe on RSS, iTunes, uh, whatever it's called now, Apple Podcasts, Podcasts, or uh, on Android, email, and on Google Play. And remember, the opinions of stated by the Library Pros and their guests are those of Chris and Bob and not those of the Sachin Public Library or the Emmett Clark Memorial Library. So, until we see you next time, hope you enjoyed this special unepisode, and we will see you soon. been listening to the Library Pros Podcast. The Library Pros are brought to you by Hippic Productions and by the Library Pros themselves, Mr. Christopher and Bob Johnson. Special thanks to Sage Public Library for providing space for this podcast. Until the next turn of the page, I'm your announcer.